Our guest today, while he was racing, was a classic specialist who had a knack of being at the right place at the right time. Since retirement, he has moved more into the car and the technical aspect of EF Education Easy Post. And starting off in 2024 in style, our guest today, Andreas Clear. Yenzi, that was a great conversation. Yes, it was. And it's always good to catch up with, you know, old friends from the past. He was never my team member, but we did race many, many races together. I had a bunch of great chats. And since I live in Berlin, he lives far away from me. I don't often have a chance to see him. So, yes, it was great to catch up, but also really interesting. Like, I learned some new things about Andy I would have never known. Yeah, it was a blast from the past, and then he kind of took us into the future as well. So sit back, relax, and listen to our great conversation today with Andreas Clear. Welcome, Andreas Clear, to Bobby and Jens. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Man, it's so good to see you after so many years. I mean, we were teammates back in the old uh, Team Telecom days. But just interested to know, where are you coming to us from right now? Are, are you down in Mallorca still? Yeah, I've been living here since 12 years now. Feeling, I would say, feeling home. Not about to uh, leave uh, anytime very soon. Huh? So I, I like it here. I remember you guys, all the telecom guys would go down to, to Mallorca. That was like the, the place to go to train. But you decided to make a home there. Um, what What is so special about Mallorca? I mean, a lot of our viewers and listeners have never been there. Jens, myself, basically every pro cyclist has spent a lot of time there. But what's so special about that island to you? Um, I have to say, I've been in Corsica once. Uh, I have to admit, Corsica is nicer than Mallorca. So sorry, sorry to say so. Mm, but... Um, Basically, from everywhere in Europe, in about two hours flight time, you are here. Uh, we we do have an, an incredible amount of flights uh, a year, so all the friends who want to visit me uh, can, and uh, uh, other way around, so I can just fly around and, and, and visit friends if I want to. Um, and then you obviously have the weather, you have the sea, you have the ocean. It's Second nicest place in Europe for me, and uh, I'm uh, very happy uh, to to be able to say that this is my home. Yeah. Well then, let's go a little further back and talk about the third nicest place in Europe, Belgium, because you lived yeah. there for what ten or eleven years or something like that. Right. How did you decide to live there? And second, why do you decide to move away from there? Uh, so. To begin with, um, at that time, uh, in 99 or 98, uh, when I signed the contract with the TVM Farm Frights, um, I actually had to move there. So there was there was no exception made. So I, I just had to move there. So I remember came uh, came to Belgium with, with my bed and my closet and, and a big van and uh, never seen the apartment before, throw everything in. And the next day I had to train uh, with uh, Van Petegem and co. Um, uh, that was quite uh, uh, an intense, intense uh, uh, moment there, I have to say. Not knowing what will happen, not knowing what's what's there because I never saw the apartment before or something like that. Um, 
yeah, I had to live there and then kind of fell in love with it. Yes, I, 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 I liked the roads and, uh, let's face it the other way around. I, I've never been able to climb fast, neither could I do a fast time trial and, and all of that stuff. So I found a, a niche, is this the right word in English? Um, for myself, for for the possibilities, um, for what my body could, uh, yeah, offer, and um, I gave it one hundred percent. And here and there, I, I, you know, I was on the front, and here and there, I could win once in a while. And I think it was the right choice. And yeah, like this, five years later, after the first day I lived there, uh, I, I have to say. I liked it. I liked it actually a lot. Like like I said, we were teammates back in 2002 and 2003, and our programs didn't really uh, cross that very off, uh, that that much at all. But to be honest, for the longest time, I didn't even know that you were German. I thought that you were Belgian. You know, I mean, you spoke such good English, and you were always so funny. But um, the the thing that I really remember about you was at Telecom, we rarely had our meetings in German. They were a mix between yeah. English, French, and Italian for some reason. But you would always kind of like take over the last part of the meeting, and um, you knew the roads so incredibly well. It seemed like everywhere we went, like you kind of took that over. And it wasn't only your knowledge of the roads, it was your knowledge of the weather. Um, yeah. How did you hone those two very, very important things, knowing the roads and knowing, uh, predicting the weather as, as a professional cyclist? Whoa, that's a difficult question, right? I obviously, I could tell you now uh, a fantasy story or something, right? Because, I mean, how can I prove uh, that it's such? To be totally honest, uh, Bob, Bobby, it's it's something I'm interested in and in, 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 the map itself, right? Uh, and you know, um, if you do whatever, a race in Denmark in that time and you are close to the coast or you heard that whatever, the rain is coming from, let's say, Sweden uh, and then over the ocean and will hit to about lunchtime. And uh, so, you know, okay, you go from the south to the north and Sweden is obviously uh, sort of in the north from Denmark to say so. Um, uh, then you know, okay, will probably be headwind uh, if you go, right? And stuff like that, or if you go close to the ocean and, you know, the wind is coming from, uh, 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 and, uh, let's say, let's say again, Sweden area, right? You, you, you will know, okay, it's come blowing from the right side and knowing that you go from in Denmark, let's say direction Aarhus or, or whatever, which town, you know, there's no forest or, and then you just count one and one together and you just say, okay. Let's hit the front at 30 to go and, you know, and I guess very often it was also lucky punch. I guess so, you know. No, I guess um, you be lucky once or twice. If it's more than that, then that's class or knowledge. Then that's actually a skill. You get lucky once or twice, but five times lucky is not lucky anymore. That's just class. So apparently you have a talent for that, Andy. Um, which then, now that we talked about that, um, I take a quick jump far into today's world. You're still your sport director for uh, Team EF Education uh, First. 
How important is your knowledge these days um, with the roads, the routine you have from riding them yourself? Is that still a big part of your job or with the internet and Velo Viewer and, you know, five different weather apps, all the riders know everything they need to know? Or is all that still important today? Uh, good question, Jens. I, I had this discussion very often because I have a very clear standpoint on that. I uh, think um, my knowledge isn't worth anything in modern cycling if it comes down to roads or weather. Because, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not smarter than whatever which computer or app, obviously. Um, I do know plenty of people who disagree. I, I listen to them, but still I have the same standpoint. Um, whatever you want to know, you can find on the internet. I think it just comes down to how much time do you want to put into it, right? So, um, if people, uh, organizers do change traditional bike races as it happened in the past from, let, let's say Paris tours, right? And um, you, you do the first uh, 60K uh, uh, copy-paste version of what we did like 20 years or whatever ago. Uh, uh, but then you turn right into whatever, which wine field. Um, if you're really interested into it, you can you can open, you know, if it's Google Maps and you just throw the VeloView or GPX on it or, or Google Earth even if you want to do it. Uh, or, or you just keep it simple and look at it on the Velo view or, or, or whatever, which other app existing. I, I do believe me being able to discuss with them a question uh, is much more the case than me sitting there and telling them, uh, listen, guys, kilometer zero, Perry Tours, uh, there are no trees, it's open fields, the wind is coming from the west, so... Once you hit kilometer zero, the wind comes from the right side or, or, or whatever it is. Uh, obviously you say it, but I don't see the importance anymore. Yeah, full stop. Doesn't really speak for my job and myself, right? I do know that. Uh, however, that's, that's my standpoint. But knowing the roads, knowing the wind direction is one thing. Like you said, everyone knows that everyone's getting the same information over the radio sometimes maybe a little bit too much and it's stressing out the riders a little bit but can you explain to us our viewers and our listeners a little bit about the technique of getting in the right position prior to like a real pinch point in a, in a race because i think that's that that's a a talent that it seemed like yourself and we were talking before we started recording about Peter Van Petergem. You know, you guys would kind of like be at the back or kind of talking and, you know, just enjoying yourselves. But then you were always where you needed to be when that pinch point came. I just want to know how you were able to do that. What is that technique for getting into position? Um, in the past, uh, in the past, Bobby, it was... It's actually a simple answer. So in the past, you had the knowledge of roads. Uh, you had the knowledge, if you wanted to, about weather and wind, uh, especially wind conditions. Uh, others didn't or didn't care. Uh, 
so it was pretty simple to know when not to pedal or when to pedal fast within your neighbor, right? Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it was rocket science. And once you've done it successfully uh, for half a season, you just copy paste it for X seasons. And, uh, I guess that's why, why people think or believe that, that this was my talent and you, you, you can call it a talent, right? It, it didn't give me a lot of victories because then obviously you come to a limit when it comes down to the lack power, uh, for, for me, it wasn't tricky, uh, for others, neither, uh, but for plenty of people, it was because they were maybe more concentrated on the, the spot X, whatever, which climb, uh, uh, to, to then actually speak with their legs. I did know, or I do know that my, my power output was limited. If we talk about the very best ones. Uh, so I still wanted to be in the game. I still wanted to be a part of it because I, I, I was quite competitive. Uh, and I wanted to be competitive on the bike too. So I had to find a niche where, 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 where I couldn't be in the picture still in the end. And this was actually being at a certain spot earlier or better positioned than uh, Tom Bonin and Cole in that case, right? Uh, nowadays. Um, it changed big time. So if you say, okay, you have to be uh, in front at kilometer, whatever, 38 or, or 155, uh, you can't just say, okay, this spot is coming in 4k and let's move up. Uh, that, that those, those times are long over. So you, you actually have to start the engine, uh, uh, your, your, your group of riders 30k ahead of it. Like, like literally you just say, uh, let's go to the front and start riding. And I, I very often, if you look once a replay of a bike race, you just, you just think, wow, they start riding early, uh, uh, and three teams next to each other. Well, what are they doing? Um, they're actually doing something which they want to do 30 case later, but they have to do it in that moment. Uh. You, you have those, you have those pictures nowadays, especially in a tour, those helicopter shots, when you think, well, today they move, uh, from A to B, you know, quite smooth and you have to see this whole bunch moving, uh, uh and everybody think, well, that's all boring or slow, but the truth is they just go 55 per hour or 60 or whatever they do, uh, uh, next to each other. And if you look exactly a little bit deeper into the detail, you just see like five teams. Uh, um, not blocking the draw road, but just moving with 54, 13 or 54, 12 or whatever they write, uh, as basically a moving speed. So it has nothing, but literally nothing to do with the cycling you and I did. When it comes down then to max power output on the more than two, right? Then you obviously can speak with the winner. And if he talks with you, you understand him and you know exactly what he means when he, right. But the dynamic in the peloton, uh, uh from nowadays has zero points, zero to do with what, what we did in the past. Um, before we go further into that, because that's really interesting. I got this a crazy question back in your days. If we would have put your head on Tom Bonin's or on Cancellara's body. Would you have then, you two together, would you have won five Paris-Roubaix? 
I think sometimes it's not good to think too much and right mm. and digressing too. <laughs> you shouldn't forget that. There comes the moment where you just say, you know what, I'm gonna close my eyes, I'm just gonna go. If you wanna follow, do it. If you can, try. Uh, thinking is not always helpful. Uh, I would say he, like both of them, got the maximum out of their, obviously I can't speak for them, but they got the maximum out of their careers, right? Maybe here and there, uh, one more victory would have been possible, it wouldn't have changed anything. Uh, the answer is no, I don't think so. I think they were smart enough and they were strong enough they, uh, that they didn't have to think more. Let's face it like this. Okay, so to go back on a couple things, you know, you were pro for a, for a long time. You weren't a prolific winner, although you did win the 2003 Gent-Wevelgem uh, beating forementioned Tom Boonen in the sprint and a stage of the 2007 Tour of Spain. But how would you, in your own words, describe yourself, your your talents as a rider when you were racing? I would say uh, I still believe that cycling is uh, it always will be a team sport, uh, most of the time around proper leader. However, still a team sport. My biggest talent was to be loyal. Yeah, to be loyal was my biggest uh, talent, and my weakness was being very ignorant towards new things. Basically, the opposite from what I'm doing now, right? Uh, as, uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean that I'm not loyal anymore, but uh, I, I, I am. But I'm not ignorant anymore. But I was one of those guys when people came and say, hey, let's ride carbon wheels in Paris-Roubaix. And I said, oh, are you crazy? Never, ever before, you know, I'm going to stop cycling and, you know, the wheels don't bounce and w whatever I was saying. Uh, uh, saying things without having any knowledge uh, is something I don't do anymore. Uh, I learned that in whatever, the last 10, 15 years. Um, I changed uh, being ignorant when I switched to Cervelo team, 2-9, 2-10, something like that. Uh, from that moment, it was crystal clear to me that, that I made plenty of mistakes by saying uh, no to the right people and the right ideas. Yeah. But on the other hand, I was very loyal. So, yeah, that, that was my strength in cycling, I would say. Being loyal helping the leader to to its limits to my limits yes we'll be right back after this short break now back to our chat with andy so then um <clears throat> apart from from winning the classics, Gent Wevelgem, which was probably a very, very big moment for you. Any other moment where you go, nobody captured this moment on camera, but that was the moment when I was the most proud of myself or when I felt I was at my best doing whatever, this one magic pull for your leader. You have any yeah, moments the... like that where you go, oh, I remember that, that day, that moment, it all worked out perfectly. 
because I was there and I could help? Or is the win still your biggest day? You go, nah, again, Vevel game, nothing's ever going to beat that one. No, I'm not really into this uh, winning or losing thing, uh, Jens, to be totally honest, because probably uh, also the reason for it is it's not that I won uh, 50 bike races, right? So when I say, ah, could have won 52. Uh, 2005, uh, I was going very fast and I I thought 2004, I already thought I could win Flanders and then uh, a teammate, Stefan Wesemann, won it and I, I was just in a small, tiny group behind behind them and I came over the finish line, I was the tired uh, in, the, in the sense of that I was cooked, that I was done. So I wanted to win 205 and I obviously trained and, and, and did what I have to do and and I came to this Harderbaker bike race and I was just, just pedaled and pedaled, right? And it was uh, Tom Bonner and me in the front with two, whatever, 60K to go or something crazy in that time. And, and he, he just said uh, at the moment, okay, uh, should, should we wait? Because Weseman is coming from behind. I said, if he wants to come, you can feel free to come, right? I'm just going to keep on pedaling. And I was so sure I'm going to beat him in the sprint, you know? And uh, of course, we around the last corner and he just you know I looked like a schoolboy. I thought okay you've done this today but you know in five days it's planned and I'm just gonna drop you it didn't happen he dropped me in the flat in the very end and I got second again so those two races were the races I will always remember because I was so confident that I'm gonna beat somebody who has 10 times more class than me, right? It's actually insane just thinking uh, you're going to beat him today, right? He has no chance. I think in 20 years, if there's nothing I can remember out of psych, then it's those two races, giving it everything, being so kind of arrogant, but in a positive way, right? It's not being arrogant, standing next to him and say, (laughs) Today I'm going to beat you without saying it, but just, you know, and then still losing, you know, uh, and just get the reality check and say, hey, uh, if, if a guy is 10 times better than you, then maybe second isn't bad. Uh, but those are the two days I really am proud of. The whole week, the, the thing towards it to really believe you can do something which is not realistic is something I took with me, I think, now into my work I'm doing now, right, when, when it comes down to uh, uh, material and stuff, because I'm, I'm, I'm not only DS, uh, Jens and Bobby and our team, I'm also responsible for, for our material. That's basically my work, to be totally honest. Well, we'll get back to that in a second, but I just got to ask this as a cycling fan. You know, like I said, I didn't, you know, our race programs didn't cross very often, but I was always watching the classics on TV, but you've raced with, you know, the greats and you're still witness the greats, but who was your most, who was the rider that you had most respect for in the classics? I mean, you raced with Bartoli, you raced with Museu, you raced with Ben Petergam, you raced with Boonin and Conchalara, I mean, the list goes on and on. But I'm curious, for a guy that was in the trenches with them, and you've admitted that you didn't have their, you know, max power, but 
who was the guy or guys that you really just take your cap off to even even today i mean with with all the respects uh to the people i'm not going to mention now <laughs> uh for me there was only uh, and there will only be tom bonan to be totally honest uh, i i do know that Cancellaro is a world-class, high-class cyclist and it's difficult to find a better one. And I also do know that whatever, Johan Museo won 10 classics and whatever they won, right, the big ones. But just the pure power uh, uh, Tom could push out and being Belgium, living in Belgium and winning four times in a row, uh, Hadelbeke, basically a race nobody knows outside of Belgium, but it's just like it's like not winning the lottery, but you you, you have to be very special to to be able to do so. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm I hope the others don't take that personal in case they hear that. I'm also a big fan of everyone I I was allowed to race against, right? But uh, for me, the best one was. Tom, because when he came up, y'all, you could already see who's coming up, and then he just, yeah, every year did it again and again and again. Yeah, I guess he's a good choice. I mean, he was world champion as well, won a bunch of stages in the Tour de France, so I guess he did have not a terrible career, right? So yeah, good choice. <laughs> yes, no, yeah. No, no, he was a good cyclist, yes. <laughs> you know that? <laughs> so I th maybe it's also the thing he never gave up. Because he could also he could easily have waited for a sprint, I guess. And there were like three, four years where he was sort of unbeatable in a sprint itself. But he didn't care. He just went for it. And maybe much more than his physical uh, uh, possibilities or uh, uh, yeah possibilities I, I do have to say is head was maybe the strongest uh, uh, strongest weapon you don't say this weapon is a negative but it was his strength yeah well in um, after you retired in 2013 you took up a sports director's role at Garmin Sharp that has morphed over the years to what is now EF Education Easy Post. Was that role, was that job something that always interested you, even when you were a rider, that, hey, when I retire, I, I want to stay in the sport and, I, and do something like this? No, not at all. Not at all, uh, Bobby. I, 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 I always thought, um, no, I didn't think. I, I was one of them who thought you're going to race forever, right? And just never wanted to face the reality and just, ah, come on, one more season and one more. And then, uh, you know, a year later, you're basically standing on the street. And it's not that I went to the university uh, or have like whatever, which uh, MBA or. Um, so I was very thankful that um, that Jonathan uh, Waters, he, he offered me that role. And uh, over the years now, I, I'm i still thankful, to be totally honest. I, I feel very whole there. Uh, and I have now, uh, over the years, I, I, I 
received a role, I think that's the right word, um, which I very much love and, and uh, next next to being a DS, I, I do love playing around with, you know, this whole thing, uh, dread versus weight and, you know, being better than your neighbor uh, regarding uh, technical parts on your bike. Uh, and and then I I just love that uh, it's the opposite from me. Let's say two thousand and four and five and three and uh, being very ignorant. Uh, I love it, yeah, and I'm happy that I have uh, the possibility to do that. So if you ever dreamed of becoming a team owner or a general manager, and if so, if it would be your team. Where would your priorities be? Technology, working with a psychologist, more training camps or whatever. Where do you think would your team, what direction would your team go? Obviously, I do believe that the, the, uh, the basis of a team is a healthy staff environment. Uh, so my main focus would go on finding the right staff in whatever which department. Um, and I probably would invest more money uh, than most of the other teams in uh, research and development. If this is now uh, clothing or a helmet or uh, aerodynamics versus heat management or uh, whatever it is, Jens, I, I would probably put more money into that department, uh, research and development, than in other teams uh, but for the rest I would do plenty of copy paste from the bigger teams nowadays uh, us including right uh, we if you need two buses you have two buses why would you buy three or four or why would you try it with one right or a truck or uh, so plenty of copy paste because I think the structure inside cycling is uh, the regarding the operations and the logistics is already quite very healthy and on a very high level. Uh, inside each team, everybody has different priorities. If you find a, a suitcase full of money, right, uh, Jens, send it over. I start a team and the main focus is uh, research and development. Well, now that I know you're a fellow data nerd and you're looking at all these like things to make the riders go faster. I mean, I was when I was riding, I was always looking for those advantages. Jens, you could put Jens on a little kid's bike and he actually has ridden a kid's bike and he would ride it just as fast, <laughs> right? But like, so digging deeper a little bit into that, what is the number one cool innovation that you've learned about that that is really top of your list uh i i remember i remember four five years ago we were the first team who uh came up with tubeless right uh, and that time we still rode uh rim brake bikes so this was obviously uh creating a lot of heat on the rim uh and then with the pressure into the sidewalls, it was too dangerous to ride it, the first first few wheels. But together with um, a sponsor we still have, it's, it's a long-term relationship in the meanwhile, 
uh, a great sponsorship, a, a, a great support. Um, we played around quite a lot and um, together with our tire sponsor, we also found the advantage, uh, how, how big the advantage actually is. And we rode with them in TTs. Uh, and in that year, I'm quite sure if you would go back and uh, try to find the results, you will always see three, four people in the top 10 and everybody thought, whoa, what happened? Um, so for me, it was crystal clear what happened. I was very proud, right? I had this feeling, ah, that's my idea, which is obviously nonsense, right? But, uh, um, but I was pushing a lot for it and working a lot around it. We had it first. Uh, so I wanted to be the first team who have it on the road bike. Um, coming back to your question, I was afraid copy pasting the setup of our TT bike on the road bike because uh, tubeless, uh, maybe on a hookless rim or something like that, you you don't have an airbag, you don't have seat belt, you don't have safety, right? So. These were also my two words. So I, I, I went, I went on a tire testing uh, in in the in the winter time. I went to Tommaso, uh, uh, a person who who is the liaison from our tire sponsor, uh, and I said, "Can't we just invent like I don't know an airbag or the seat belt for tubeless, right?" And it didn't take very long, and he came back with the fir first prototypes from this insert uh, we are using now since quite a while. So, long story short, tubeless is the thing I'm really proud of that we that we kicked it off. Um, right loop at the right time, wet, dry stuff like that makes a difference, and 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 quite a big one. Uh, trying to find the next tubeless since two years even if i would have found it i wouldn't say it today <laughs> uh working on it and it's not easy to find something um a competitor isn't trying to find so you have to think outside of the box um yeah we have something cool for next season too so you gotta see it's pretty cool, but I can't say it yet because it's not published, right? So, uh, I love that stuff, and I'm very that that obviously is only only possible uh, with with the right suppliers, because if you just walk into a room and say, "Hey, why don't we?" Uh, uh, and people say, "Yeah, yeah, just keep on dreaming," and you know, uh, then I mean, it's not that I have tubeless tires in my pockets or can uh, reinvent the wheel or whatever but we have a cool setup there and with with uh, with waters in the background he, he loves that stuff right uh so it's for me also not that i hit walls there and say hey guys i i, I think i have something and they say yeah yeah we don't care it's actually other way around so with with jv there in the background he's he loves that stuff and he probably knows more about the numbers and all of these things than, than I do. Uh, good combination. Yeah. Good setup actually. Uh, actually a good team, Jens. That's maybe also why there's so many people in your podcast there, right? So, yeah. Correct. Good team with a bunch of good people in there or great people in there. 
Um, okay, now, recently we had Matej Mohoric in our podcast and he strongly, absolutely strongly believes that dropper seat posts are the real thing. Have you ever looked into that? Have you ever test, try, test written or tried it in a training camp yourself? Or have you ever asked a rider of you, hey, he won Milan Sanremo on it. How about we try this? What are the results? What are your thoughts on this? To be totally honest, uh, I absolutely agree, fully agree, right? Uh, but uh, I don't know when when Regal, he won whatever. He won a state at the Tour de France, I think, in the year where he got second or third, right? So, With the broken derailleur? Correct. When yeah, he was in the 11th exactly. for the last 20 miles? Yeah. I remember exactly. that. Awesome, awesome story. Exactly. And uh, uh, there was, I remember there was this climb downhill and then whatever, eight kilometers finish line. And I remember in that Tour de France, so that's quite a while ago, JV said to me, uh, hey, uh, how, how about... Uh, a seat post you can just hydraulically drop in and drop out. If you do so, you, you're going to drop them on the downhill and you don't have to spread anymore. So those talks we had, but we never realized it. Uh, I think it's a super cool idea. I also don't think it's a marketing uh, idea. I do believe very much that there should be more parts hydraulic uh, which could give you a big advantage but obviously here and there then there has to be a stop and that's 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 why we have the uci right to say hey that's hard but not further and yeah i i love it i think it's great well i just very recently um i don't know what you what you just said that just brought this into my memory but just recently on a podcast we were talking about superstitions and, you know, you're talking about numbers and data and stuff like that. But, you know, Jens, I've known Jens for a long time, but he revealed a couple of superstitions that he said if he ever told me back then, he was scared that it was going to lose its mojo. But you had a superstition when you were riding. You had a certain um, object, if you will, that you had on your bicycle that had something to do with superstition. Can you tell us, uh, our listeners and viewers that don't know, what that was all about? Yeah, it was uh, actually it was a piece of wood, to be totally honest, right? Just wanted to make it look cool, so I gave it a certain form, yeah, because um, I I glued it for myself, like a simple piece onto my frame, right? And then after a while, I thought, okay, how 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 many people in the world know this uh, uh, sentence, like knob of wood, right? Um, and I found out that it's actually the whole world, uh, just not her, just not Italy. They knock somehow on iron or, or something similar. Uh, so I thought, okay, yeah, maybe I should give it a name and maybe I should just do something with it. And it's so simple. I don't even have to explain it. Just take it and glue it or put it wherever you want uh, 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 or give it to a friend of yours and just just put put a number on or put a lucky charm on, on a drawing, whatever you do with it. And it's just something you and your best friend know and, and, and whatever, you know, he nearly has an accident in the car or something, just, you know, include it on the dashboard or whatever, whatever, the, whatever you did with it, uh, you, you have something to knock on it. And maybe in that moment you think about, you know, your best friend or, or, or your parents or whatever it is. 
Uh, yeah, I brought that up. I don't know when I started it. I'm, I'm very bad in those and in, in years and, and names. I'm also not the best. So uh, it's a while ago. It was a great gadget. It was great time. I, I actually faced plenty of very nice stories around it. I met great people because of it. Um, but I ran out of time. I, I, I couldn't handle that. And I don't want to say it's that. I, I still have mine. I still have my first one. Uh, friends of mine, they do have the first one. That's actually what counts for me. And uh, yeah. Okay, double question. First question, really easy. Is it in your DS car? And when you're in your DS car, are you actually the driver or are you on a co-pilot seat so you have more time to check the team radio and the navigation and check whatever, the weather and the profile of the stage? So is it in your DS car and are you driving or are you the co-driver? It's not always in my DS car and I'm also not always driving. Uh, or sitting next to so as I said before we have a bunch of great people in our team and uh, also oh, that's also the case in, in, the, in the DS department um, it would be fully nonsense if Charlie Vigelius uh, or Juan Juan, Ma, Juan, uh, Juan Garate, uh, would do the flat stages in Perinis and tell the riders heads up the wind is coming from wherever which side right for echelons and me uh just sitting there and driving the car and other way around it would be total nonsense if i say heads up uh right turn up the s is coming uh and i'll <laughs> just uh give it a good go and when pop-ups have those just you know follow him uh it's quite a good balance there, Jens. So we don't have a fixed setup. I don't know how other teams are doing it. Uh, uh, there is also no big eagle, right? I, I, I couldn't I couldn't care less if I drive or if I sit next to it as long as the right person says the right thing and Ben Healy wins the stage. You see what I mean? Like, like did, did you have a plan? Uh, you present the plan in a PowerPoint presentation, fancy or not, it doesn't matter. The message is important. You go out there, everybody sticks to it, and then somebody wins. The whole package uh, should should fit together. I think me, for example, talking in the Pyrenees doesn't really make sense. Uh, at the same time, me not talking in the Normandy also doesn't make sense but my my no key is in well, the bus yes it's always safe <laughs> you, always if you talk to the pyrenees you could talk to your sprinter hey hang in there i know exactly how it feels in the gruppetto right sorry i just had to let it out <laughs> also true but, sometimes we just switch if we have a person who just like suffers big time just throw yourself into the second car, for example. Uh, if you say, okay, I, I, this guy really has to survive, you know, who has been in this situation? Uh, and I can lift my arm and say, I've been there quite often, right? Uh, so, quite open group. Um, you know what, Yelsey? It's coming back to my piece of wood. It has to be in the bus, right? Because we're sitting there with the whole team. We it's, it's actually the person with the most responsibility in 
a grand tour. This the bus driver. Nobody talks about it, but uh, you know, if you have a great bus driver and you are able to go into the bus, post stage, close your eyes, put music on, and just you know, dream about whatever you dream. And then one hour later or two hours later, somebody wakes you up and say, yeah, we are there. And you just are full back of energy because you could just peacefully sleep because you trust the bus driver. That's a great thing. And this goes back to when you said, what will you do if you make a team? It's the staff, right? Uh, which counts. You have to have trust there. Well, you guys definitely did something right in the 2023 season. I mean, let's face it, EF Education Easy Post was ranked 18th at the end of 2022. Um, I think it came down a little bit uh, nail-biting for you know relegation or possible relegation from the World Tour. But in 2023, you guys moved up seven places to 11th place. Very comfortable now, not anywhere near the relegation. But most of that was due to great performances by Nielsen Palace and Ben Healy. Who do you see stepping up in the 2024 season this year? We have, um, we do have a group of young riders, riders you maybe never heard before. And I personally do believe also because of their character, just talking with them or seeing them riding um, while training in a training camp in December, even it doesn't matter uh, it's still long to go to the season, but just seeing them and talking with them, I do believe we have champions and it would be great. And I would be very happy for them if they could already show it. You know, in February, they don't have to wait one more year or just learn or whatever, right? Just go out there, stick to the plan and just, you know, smash the gears, head down. And I, we have, we have great talent, uh, Bobby, and I hope one of them will join Nielsen, will join, you know, Healy, who I expect also to step up will be, uh, Bissiger is. I would say top five in the world, top four, top five in the world when it comes down to time trialing. He's basically a bank when it comes down to that. I I would love to see him being also top X. I, I don't know where he's going to end up, but uh, in road racing. He deserves a spot on the podium in Roubaix. He deserves, you know, a late attack in the tour and win the state, uh, stuff like that. Um, I hope that will happen let's see um it also seems in nowadays in modern cycling that talent is very good very important to have but you gotta have a budget as well and so now how motivating or how frustrating is it to work against these super teams like unlimited budget what it seems like like uh, team UAE with uh, Pogacar or Jumbo Visma or back in the days Ineos Grenadiers, teams with so much more of a budget how hard, how frustrating how unfair or how motivating is it to fight or to work against them hmm. 
never really thought about that or never really thought in this direction, Jens. Um, when it comes down to material, I'm a person who looks, uh, uh, you know, to the left and to the right and, and take a good look. It's not that I walk around like a spy or something. Don't totally misunderstand me, but uh, I'm, I'm not walking around with closed eyes. Uh, how, however, I, I could not really care what other people have for a budget or, right? Uh, yeah, I don't care. What I do care is that we don't end up next season on the 11th spot. It's it's very nice of you, Bobby, to say we moved up seven spots or six or eight or whatever it is. And that's great. But I would love to move up from that spot again quite a bit. And it doesn't matter if somebody has more money or less money and writes better, right? Uh, yeah. No, yeah, and it's I. I don't. I'm, I'm not that person. I think I, I. I don't. I don't finger point at somebody and say, yeah, of course. If I would have Pogacar, I also could win the Tour de France, right? And then in the end of the day, you finish second. By the way, so uh, no, I think I have enough things to do, and I also enjoy life too too much to think in that direction because I, I don't know the English word in German it's night I'm jealousy yeah I'm, I'm you you are not jealous no I'm, you are not, I'm not really a mm -hmm. jealous type of person not only in cycling but just in general I'm, I'm, I'm yeah no well good for you good. I, I tell you I, I I've got so many more questions but there's one I really just need to ask you, you know, I loved what you said about getting in that bus, you know, sleeping for two hours, becoming totally relaxed, getting up the next day and doing it again. Um, that's quite important for young riders to know how to switch on and switch off. Um, and I always ask people what their hobbies are. Do they have a hobby? Do they have another interest? And I, I have to say, it's only been the last couple of years that I found out that you're an artist, that you're a painter. Um, I need to know everything because I'm not, you know, I don't have an artistic bone in my body. My wife is very artistic. My daughter goes to art school up in New York City. But please, I never knew this about you until all of a sudden you started posting it on your Instagram. And I was like, wait a second. Andreas has this sort of talent as well. Tell us where that passion for 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 the arts came from, because I never knew that about you. I don't know how many people really did i didn't know it about me bobby i had no clue so uh five years uh, yeah now five five years ago uh, christmas period same period as now uh i thought okay uh the 20th handbag or, or, or for my wife because we're quite long married already uh it doesn't really make sense as a present so i'm just gonna do something different and just thought okay i'm gonna paint her right so I just walked to a shop and bought a canvas and or oil paint or acrylic or whatever it was. And it, it was one of those typical uh, uh, cheap supermarkets. So the canvas was like three euro and the paint was three euro, you know. And I just painted her and the painting is still hanging in my house. Looks great, by the way. Uh, and I just bought more canvases than the day, days after Christmas in that year. 
and I just painted men, mostly men with hats because I couldn't paint hair. So I thought I'll just paint a hat on it, right? Uh, and uh, after a while, I, I thought, okay, I, I'm going to do this thing that I just paint as many as I can over the next years until I'm 70 or 80, going to paint whatever, let's say 500, like a crazy number. Uh, and when I'm old and I still have friends who are alive, I'm just going to hand them out and say, here they are, if you want to have one. Because I never wanted to sell one. And one day, uh, JB, he called me and he knew that I'm not going to sell. And, and uh, that's, that's now three years later after I started painting. And he said, uh, you, you, you need to sell one, right? And I said, no, I don't want to do that. And then a week later, he said, do it, please. Uh, well, I said, okay. Uh, which one? I said, I don't know. So I sent him five pictures. The person bought, the, actually bought all of them. And then it just happened. And I, I, I sold many paintings, right? And, and, and my, my daughter was just laughing the whole time. Said, how, how is that possible, right? And in that whole period, I really fell in love with art. I've never been in museums before and you know uh i just never was interested and um i found my love and, and, and this is my how it is my passion is at the moment art right i i mean i'm i'm, I'm working as much and as hard as you can possibly do in in my position of the team but when i wake up at three o'clock in the night uh uh before I fall asleep again, I just put on, you know, pants and my painting shirt, go in the garage and paint. I just love it. Um, I love it. And I had this bet going on with my daughter then because she was laughing. I said, okay, uh, if you keep on laughing, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to hang once in the biggest and best gallery in Mallorca, right? This is the sporting, you know, the sport part of me. And that's where I hang now since a year already. So I had a solo exhibition there and now she's not laughing anymore. Now she's a fan of my daughter and uh, I love it. I, I, I literally like it. I love it. Well, Andreas, thank you so much for your time. I mean, just giving us so much of a uh, going down memory lane and then learning some stuff as well. But really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Good luck to you in both the painting and then with EF Education Easy Post in the 2024 season. And hopefully, 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 when I get to Mallorca with Jens in the near future to do the Mallorca 312, we're going to swing by and check out your artwork. Feel free to come by. We drink coffee, have a good time, and keep on talking. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, let's meet each other in Mallorca. Right? Why not? Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Andreas for being our guest. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo production in association with Shocked Giraffe. This episode was produced and edited by Mark Payne. Remember to check out the video version of this podcast by heading to the Outside Watch YouTube channel. 
Get in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and Facebook. Just head to at Bobby and Jens and give us a follow. This week, we want to know, like Andreas, what talent did you discover later in life?